0: In conclusion, I promised my Sunday school class I would do that this morning. It's not quite that short, but it's still a little short. Good morning. This is going to be a shorter sermon, and if you like it, can, you can make it really you can make it really short today. All you have to do is raise your right hand and promise me you will never grumble again. I don't believe you. Don't take it personally, though, because yeah, I'm sure you'd try, but if history has taught us anything, it's that we really like to complain. We really do a good job of complaining. It comes naturally to us. I heard a story many, many years ago about a man. He was a big businessman on Wall Street. He had a powerful job. He had people working for him. He was working for a lot of other people, lots of money coming and going, and he just got tired of the rat race of it all and got tired of the stress and he longed for simplicity in his life. And so he gave it all up and he went to live in a monastery high up on a mountain. And while he was there, he, he not only took a vow of poverty and a vow of simplicity, he also took a vow of silence. And, and when he took that vow, he was told you have to live in complete silence for ten years. And at the end of ten years, you come to the head monk. I think that's what they call him, the head monk. You come to the head monk, or is it the chipmunk? I can't remember. Anyway, and you're allowed to say two words. So for 10 years, he's in complete silence, enjoying the the solitude and the simplicity of life and the reflection uh, of, of that silence. And at the end of 10 years, he comes to the head monk, and the head monk says, what are your two words? And he said, bed hard says okay go another 10 years come back in 10 years give me two more words so for 10 more years he he lives just just in the the quietness of his thoughts and the quietness of his prayers at the end of 10 years he comes to the head monk and he says what are your two words and he said food bad 10 more years come back in 10 years 10 years later he comes back and the head monk says what are your two words and he said i quit And the head monk said, well, I'm not surprised. Ever since you got here, all you've done is complain. It comes naturally to us. Paul lists his bad examples for us in 1 Corinthians 10. Bad examples of idolatry, of sexual immorality, even of child sacrifice. And there among those bad examples in verse 10, he says, we should not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And it it sounds strange to us that grumbling would be included with all of those bad things. But but consider this. When we go back and read through those instances in the Old Testament, a lot of them, they they only did those things once. They they only built one golden golden calf. They they only did those things once. But grumbling is something they came back to over and over again. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.6, now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Grumbling is evil. We have to acknowledge that. We can't just laugh it off and say, well, that's just how we are. You know, that's, that's just the way it is. I like to complain. It's very easy as a preacher to get up here and to grumble about grumblers. You kind of expect me to grumble about grumbling when I get up here. But I want you to hear me out on this. See, so you, you can grumble about the church, and, and we'll still be a church, okay? You can grumble about the things that we do. You can grumble about the, the way we do them. You can grumble about the things we don't do, and we'll still be a church. We'll still do this. We'll, we'll still worship. What breaks my heart, what really concerns me, is when you start grumbling about home, you start grumbling about your spouse, start grumbling about your kids you start grumbling about your job we acknowledge God's at work in a church right I mean, that's that just comes with it God's also at work in your homes God's at work in your in your relationships God's at work with your kids and when you start grumbling about those things the great temptation is that when times get tough and when when relationships get strained and we start grumbling about those relationships we just decide we're going to give up that's not working out. You know. I'm going to go back to the way it was before. I'm going to go back and be single. I'm going to go back and do this and do that. And we, we, It just stops it. That kind of grumbling just stops us in our tracks, with our families, with our kids. Grumbling becomes a burden that keeps us from God. We need to see that grumbling points to a bigger problem for us than just what we're grumbling about. And it certainly did for Israel. For instance, uh, from the instances of their grumbling we see that grumbling comes from a lack of faith. And we're going to be in, in several different passages. If you've got one of those Bibles in the pew in front of you, we're going to be in start off in Numbers chapter 11. Uh, if you're using those Bibles, that's on page 119. And we're going to be in three different chapters in the book of Numbers. If you're looking in your own Bible, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Um, got all kinds of great stories in Numbers. We're going to look at chapter 11, just verses 1 through 3 to start off with. says, and the people complained. The people complained in their hearing, in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. And then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fires died down. And the name of that place was Taberah, because the fire of the Lord had burned against them. You know, sometimes when we hear about grumbling and and complaining we are very quick to dismiss the complaints we're very quick to just dismiss them and say well some people just like to complain you complain to me i'll give you something to complain about you know that's the way it's going to be i'll just give you something to complain about but but hear what he says in verse one they grumbled about their misfortunes some of your bibles say they grumbled about their hardships they had been marching for three days They'd marched for another 40 years, but they had been marching for, for three days, and it was rough. It was very difficult. And so the grumbling is, is not about the severity or the lack of severity of the complaints. So where, where does this grumbling come from? That's what it's about. Where does it come from? Grumbling comes from a lack of faith. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at a, a passage in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people stop being a people. They, they lose that which holds them together. And, and the great temptation for us is to only see our hardships, to only see the problems that we're dealing with, and only see those difficult times. And, and some of you are going through some really tough stuff. I mean, some of you have lost loved ones recently. Some of you are dealing with cancer. Some of you are dealing with addictions and, and recovery. Some of you are dealing with unemployment. A- and those, your hardships are real. Please don't ever hear me dismissing The hardships that you're going through but but your god is real too and as big as those hardships feel as overwhelming as they are your god is even bigger it's it's hard to see that but that is true we can't always see what god is doing that's what faith is all about sometimes it's sometimes those difficult times are there to help us build our faith to give us something to to build our faith on so that we can learn to trust god more and more Last Sunday morning after church, I went over and was talking to Tracy and uh, shaking Tracy Down's hand because Tracy got a new job and he was all excited and boy, he was just floating. I was t- he was telling me about his job and, and uh, I said, you know, congratulations. He said, he said I got to tell you the story. He said, he was down to his last unemployment check. I mean, this was it. The very last one. Had no idea what they were going to do and all of a sudden there's a phone call and they called him to come in for an interview. Two hours later, it wasn't, well, we'll call you back. Two hours later, he had the job. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lesson there, Tracy. And some of you have heard this before. Uh, God is, is seldom early, but he's never late, right? <laughs> God is seldom early, but he's never late. His timing is perfect. Uh, Tracy could have been grumbling, <laughs> About his lack of a job, or grumbling about a lack of direction, grumbling about his misfortune. He could have been bitter, but instead he was praising God. He's still praising God, and because God is seeing him through that, and Tracy's able to see that by faith. Grumbling comes from a lack of faith. The other problem with grumbling is grumbling leads to more grumbling. You, know, you start grumbling, you're just going to grumble some more. If you flip over just three chapters to chapter 14, it's on page 122 there in your Bibles. Here we are just three chapters later, and it says in verse 1 of chapter 14, then all the congregation, all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night, and the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Here it is, just just three chapters later. And I want you to notice the emphasis here. All the congregation is grumbling. Don't don't start doing that. All the congregation is grumbling. Grumbling does that. It does two things. Our complaining leads to more complaining. When we start complaining, we we complain more. But also, when we complain, we will find other people who will complain along with us, right? We'll find other people who like to complain. And we get together and we, we complain together with those people because misery loves company. And the scary part of that is sometimes, oftentimes, we don't even notice. We don't even notice that we're complaining. We get we get so used to the sound of, of our bitterness that we think it's normal. We, we don't even notice it anymore. I was talking with Mark Camp last week. We were chatting online. And Mark said, What's the deal with your water? <laughs> How many others have wondered, What's the deal with breath? Are you drinking pond water? And yes, I am on a pond water diet. Uh, the doctor said I'm not getting enough nematodes. And... Uh, I have to drink pond water. I put, um, I'm sorry, this is going to sound really kind of gross to some of you. I put apple cider vinegar in my water. It's a, it's a health thing. Ever since I went to, my, went to the hospital because I thought my heart was attacking me, uh, it's been about a year and a half ago, I put, I put apple cider vinegar in my water. And it's supposed to help lower your blood pressure. It's supposed to um, keep, curb your appetite so you keep your weight off. And it's also supposed to boost your immunity. Now, it's been a year and a half, and my blood pressure's down. Uh, my weight has not come back, thankfully. And I haven't had so much as a cold since I started doing this. So take that with a grain of salt and some apple cider vinegar. But that's why I do it. When I started doing it, I would pour a great big glass and get a tablespoon out. and put just. You're supposed to use a tablespoon. Just put a tablespoon in it. it Tasty. I mean, it's vinegar, for crying out loud. Jesus didn't even want vinegar, right? And, and it just, it tasted bad. And, and so I drink that once every day. And then I got to where I was drinking it about twice a day. And, and then I started noticing that it didn't taste as bad as it used to. So I started putting more in. And so now I just, I pour a whole bunch of vinegar in there and, and I put more and more, because I'm getting used to the bitterness of the flavor. I'm getting used to that sourness And after a while, I not only got used to it, I got to where I liked it. I can't drink water without vinegar. We go out to eat. I never ask for water because it doesn't taste right. Normal, pure water does not taste right. I have to have that bitterness. I have to have that sour flavor to what I'm drinking. Now, do I need to make my point, or do you think you got it? We start out with a little bit of bitterness in our lives. We start out with a little bit of grumbling. And after a while, we don't even notice it. And after a while, it's not enough. And we need a little bit more grumbling. We need a little bit more complaining. We need, to, uh, uh, we need to do that a little bit more. And it becomes such a part of our language that we think it's normal. We think our complaining is normal. You know what? <laughs> the rest of us think it's normal for you too. <laughs> the rest of us say, well, that's, that's just Aunt Maud, you know. You can't please her. Now the fact is God can't please her, and that's, that's sad, that's, that's serious, that's, that's deadly. Grumbling leads to more grumbling. It's a choice of bitterness or betterness. Which one will you choose? And the, the last thing that we see from numbers about grumbling is that God doesn't tolerate grumbling, and, uh, and neither should we. Chapter 16, again, just two chapters over. Page 124 in those Bibles. There's a lot of names here, so bear with me. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the son of Reuben, took men... And they rose up before Moses with a number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the Lord? When when Moses heard it, he, he fell on his face. You know, I, I read that, and we read about Korah later in the New Testament, too. I mean, Korah just becomes, his name becomes synonymous with rebellion. It becomes synonymous with, with disobedience. But I read that, and I, I realize Korah was a leader. This guy was a leader of the, of the people of Israel. He came from a good family. This guy had pedigree. I mean, he was a Levite, and, and so he was a, an insider. People listened to him, and he had followers 250 chiefs, that is 250 community leaders, listened to him and trusted him. And when the time came to oppose Moses, they stood with him, sure that they were right. Korah convinced them that he was right. But but more than that, Korah also convinced them that they were okay. He says in in verse 3, All the congregation are holy. He convinced them that not only was Moses wrong, but you're okay before God. God likes you just the way you are. You're holy. You don't need Moses. His grumbling not only blocked them from from where Moses was taking them, but it blocked them from God. He kept the people from truly knowing God, from from truly knowing his holiness and his call for them. I'm not sure if you remember how this story ends, but it, it doesn't end well for Korah. Uh, If you look on down into verse 25, it says, Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tent, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses says, Hereby... You shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, if they are visited with the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them and all that belong to them and they all go down alive to Sheol, then then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. As soon as he had finished speaking, all these words, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. And so they, all, all, they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who was around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up and fire Came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering incense. On the one hand, you can't miss the lesson there that God doesn't tolerate grumbling. But I want you to see something else. When God acts, when God does something, there's no denying that it's God. <laughs> there's no denying that God is is active. You, you get that? It, this wasn't an accident. This wasn't some natural event. God, Moses says, if God creates something new, how many times have we said, "Lord, do a new thing in our lives"? You know, don't you know? Be careful with that because God did something new here. If the Lord creates something new, when God moves, it is unmistakable, and make sure that you are of an attitude where you can see that. And again, the last thing I need to do is stand here and grumble about grumbling and grumble about grumblers that's that's not positive paul says that these things are examples that we might not desire evil as they did they are here so that we might know better they are here so that we might do better so that we might know how to not grumble so there are lessons here to remedy our grumbling problem i think the first thing we have to recognize is that our attitude is a part of our witness to christ our attitude is part of our witness to Christ. Paul says in Philippians 2, we're studying Philippians in my Sunday school class. And I told him that we'd be using this verse today. Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become pure, blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. That, that's a command. We are commanded to not grumble. If you find yourself complaining with, with, with no solution, you are being disobedient to God right there. We are commanded to not grumble, to not complain. And it stands in opposition to the world we live in. This world is, is warped, he said, and it is crooked. If you want to prove that you don't belong to this world, that you belong to Jesus, keep your grumbling in check. Now, how do you do that? Make sure that you have a vision for what God is doing in your life. Not just in the church, but make sure you have a vision for what God is doing in your life. You know, in Numbers 14, Moses responded to the grumbling by reminding the people of all that God had taken them through and how God had proven himself faithful over and over again. And he reminded them of where they were going and what they were going to see ahead of them. Uh, He reminded them all about the good stuff that God had proven himself faithful. That's why we bring you back constantly to gather, grow, serve. We want to make sure you have a vision, that we share a vision for what God is doing here, for, for where God is leading us. And that, that's why I will always be your number one cheerleader. And when you experience victories in your life, I'm going to share them, and I'm going to cheer you on, and I'm going to be right there to back you up. I'll, I'm going to step on your toes once or twice, too. Don't, don't worry about that. That's going to happen, too. But, but when you have victories, we're going to share those. We're going to celebrate those together because God is doing amazing things in your lives. And God is doing amazing things here. And I want to make sure that we all remember that. We never forget. You know, the last lesson for dealing with grumbling its really the toughest, and I want to make sure you hear this and hear it in love. Because if nothing else is working, if nothing else is keeping you from grumbling, then there comes a point when you just need to just get out of God's way. <laughs> you just need to, to step out of God's way. And And don't hear that as a negative thing. Hear that as the realization that that we all have to come to sooner or later, the the realization that grumbling isn't helping. My grumbling doesn't help. My complaining doesn't help. If I'm not bringing solutions, if I'm not bringing something positive, it's not helping. If it's not based on vision, it's not tolerated by God. In in chapter 16, did you notice that in, in chapter 16, verse 27, when... Moses goes out and speaks to the, the whole congregation of Israel about Korah and the others in the rebellion. It says in verse 27, they got away from Korah. <laughs> they, they backed up. You know? We don't know how big this hole in the ground is going to be, so let, let's all just back up to a safe distance. So they, they got away from Korah. If, if you don't get away from grumbling, other people end up getting away from you. <laughs> other people end up backing away and there comes a time when when maybe we just got to stop and say you know maybe i need to see what god can accomplish without my contribution of of complaining maybe i need to see what god can accomplish without my grumbling that's a perspective we all need from time to time and we have to admit that grumbling grumbling is a burden it's a burden on our minds it's a burden on our hearts it becomes a burden on our health when we complain it. It becomes a burden on our attitude. And it becomes a burden for others. Remember what Jesus said about burdens? Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, heavy burdened. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Grumbling is, is not a light burden. Grumbling will exhaust you. Complaining will, will wear you out. God has amazing things in store for you. you know, I'm not just talking about the church, although God's got amazing things in store for all of us. God's got amazing things in store for the church, but but God's got amazing things in store for you, for your family, for your life, for the way he wants to use you in this in this community, and and in, in your homes, grumbling becomes a burden of what you can't do. You get that? It becomes a burden of what you can't do and of what you can't see. The call of Jesus is to lay our burdens down and to find our rest in our gentle shepherd.